of the world is within you. Sacred and worthy is your soul. A place has been made for you. Welcome to the First Unitarian Society of Denver podcast. Thank you for joining us on this journey of the mind, the heart, and the spirit. You may also visit us on the web at fusden.org or find us on Facebook. Today's selections come from First Unitarian's online service held August 16, 2020. Titled Culture and Inclusion, the homily features First Unitarian members Alton Dillard and Charlotte Broadkern in addition to Reverend Mike Moran. Good morning, First Unitarian. Welcome to our online worship this morning. This beautiful day, August 16th. Um, it's a gorgeous day here in Denver, Colorado. I'm really glad you're with us. Our call to worship this morning is a brief poem by Rebecca Baggett. It's called Testimony. I want to tell you the world is still beautiful. I want you to look again and again and again to recognize the tender grasses curled like a baby's fine hairs around your fingers as a recurring miracle, to see that the river rocks shine like God, that the crisp voices of the orange and gold October leaves are laughing at death. I want you to look beneath the grass, to note the fragile hieroglyphs of ant, snail, and beetle. I want you to understand that you are no more and no less necessary than the brown recluse, the ruby-throated hummingbird, the humpback whale, the profligate mimosa. I want to say, like Neruda, I, I am waiting for a great and common tenderness that I still believe we are capable of attention, that anyone who notices the world must want to save it. A few things I want to share with you this morning, a few things to hold up about our common world and our common community. I want to celebrate today that Kamala Harris this week became the first black woman to uh, be the presumptive nominee for vice president for our, a major party in the United States. And no matter what your politics, that is something to celebrate. This very day, uh, August 16th, Phyllis Zumwinkle is celebrating her 95th birthday. So congratulations to Phyllis. That's a really long run, and I hope you are surrounded by all the love and connection you can stand today. Happy birthday from your church, First Unitarian Denver. I want to offer up prayers of comfort and support for Sandra Fritz this morning. Sandra's sister, Sue, passed away just a little over a week ago last Saturday in California from complications due to COVID-19. Uh, Sandra, great comfort and strength to you. Um, please reach out to your community if you need us. I know a bunch of folks have reached out to you. I want to give a shout out of support and solidarity today to everyone struggling with this protracted isolation of social distancing. Everyone who is missing handshakes and hugs and human contact, everyone who is carrying, who are carrying the invisible weights of anxiety or depression or loneliness or even just boredom. 
And I want to offer special strength and courage today and patience and wisdom to the families and loved ones who are of people who are actively dealing with anxiety and depression and the stress of isolation. We're going to get through this. It's going to take a while and we're going to get through this. Our prayer this morning is a short poem by Alberto Rios. It's called, We Are of a Tribe. We plant seeds in the ground and dreams in the sky, hoping that someday the roots of one will meet the upstretched limbs of the other. It has not happened yet. We share the sky, all of us, the whole world. Together we are a tribe of eyes that look upward, even as we stand on uncertain ground. The earth beneath us moves, quiet and wild. Its boundaries shifting, its muscles wavering. The dream of sky is indifferent to this, impervious to borders, fences, reservations. The sky is our common home, the place we all live, where we are in the world together. The dream of sky requires no passport. The blue will not be fenced. Blue will not be a crime. Look up. Stay a while. Let your breathing slow. And know you always have a home here. Amen. Community at First Unitarian Denver. In the words of our friend, Reverend Tawana Davis, time to get real, y'all. This morning I have asked a couple of our beloved black community members to share their thoughts and experiences with us, specifically their direct experience of First Unitarian Society of Denver, and they have graciously and generously and bravely said yes. Before we share their comments this morning, I want to say just a couple of very brief things for context and for clarity first. As a community, I hope you know, we've been talking about and trying to educate ourselves about white supremacy culture. We're doing that because we recognize that no matter who we are, no matter how woke, or not woke, no matter whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not, we live it and we breathe it every day. White supremacy culture is the water that we swim in. It's built into our language. It's built into the images that fill our media. It is built into the social, political, economic, institutional systems that make up our world. By definition and in practice, white supremacy culture leaves people out, even at our own beloved church. Second, Alton Dillard and Charlotte Broadkern have graciously, bravely, lovingly agreed to share their experiences and their thoughts, but we 
must be crystal clear, laser clear, extraordinarily clear, that the work that needs to be done to make First Unitarian Denver a more inclusive, more loving community to people of color, the emotional, systemic, cultural work to make that happen is not their work to do. That work belongs to white people like me and like many of you. I'm going to say that again in just as plain language as I know how to speak it. The emotional, cultural, systemic work that needs to be done to make First Unitarian Denver a more inclusive, more loving, welcoming place for people of color, that work belongs to those of us who are in the racial majority here. That work belongs squarely to those of us who benefit most from the culture we are trying to dismantle. So if, our, if some of our beloved people of color or any people of color choose to try to help or to contribute or to educate us about that, that is their choice. It is not their obligation. We just can't have any doubt or ambiguity about that. In this particular case, this beautiful morning here with this gathered community that I love, I am grateful and I am humbled and I am proud that these two beautiful souls, these two beautiful people have chosen to share with us. Thank you in advance, Alton. And thank you in advance, Charlotte. That's what I needed to say. Reverend Mike out. Good morning, First Unitarian. It's good to see everybody. Wish it could be in person. Oh, man. So discussing the white supremacy culture. Whew. Yeah, this is going to be a deep dive, but I'll do what I can do in the next, you know, four to five minutes here. Um... You know, first and foremost, shout out to Reverend Mike. Uh, I still like to josh him a little bit because when he was candidating, there were people who were a little concerned where he would be around issues of racial justice work. And as you've seen, he's proved himself to be an absolute 100% homeboy in the effort. So shout out Reverend Mike. Everything else I have to say is going to come from a place of love, but it's also going to come from a place of uh, truth. So one of the things we have to talk about, especially when we're going to continue to ask people of color about their experiences, we're going to tell the truth. And so one of the things I want to do is sort of unpack this iceberg model that's been floating around in our uh, congregational email, because I think it's spot on. If we're not careful, we're just going to go sailing the ship right smooth into the iceberg again and have learned nothing. And, you know, one of the things, and I always have to point out the irony of this, is when we talk about the iceberg and the part of the iceberg model expecting people of color to teach white people. 
I've essentially been doing this my entire life. I am 57 years old and I can honestly say I've probably been doing it for 50 years. It started when someone told me in the second grade that they felt sorry for me because I was black and it ended oh probably a month ago when someone used the term colored in my presence and then decided to try to outplight me. So let's talk about this a little bit. One of the things, wanting to put it in the context of the first Unitarian as far as the iceberg goes, you know, I've had a few experiences. Number one that I've seen over the years is this belief that we are somehow quote unquote post-racial. You all got tricked during the Obama era. I have to be 100% honest with you about that. Somehow putting somebody in the White House was seen as some kind of a rival for all our people. And see, because of what I do as an elections administrator, I don't get into the politics of that, but I think I saw a lot of, well, you know, anyone can be president, so that means we're okay as a nation and as a congregation. Uh, untrue. Uh, other things that we talk about in the context of the iceberg have to do with the uh, concept of the self-appointed ally. If I had a dime for every single anti-racist, non-racist, let's have a encounter group, let's have a drum circle, let's talk about it, that I would be a rich man. I believe in dialogue, I believe in discourse, but I also believe in action. That's why I participate in cycling protests. And one of the things that I do at the cycling protests when people are calling out the names of Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and Elijah McClain. I also make sure they're calling out the names of James Reeb and Viola Liuzzo and Andrew Goodman and Michael Schwerner. These were non-African Americans who gave their lives during the civil rights struggle. My family joined First Unitarian because of the way that people who were not black stood on the lines beside us and were willing to be fire hosed and beaten right beside us when they didn't have to. So in conclusion, I want to talk about comfort because that is part of the white supremacy culture is not liking to be uncomfortable. Trust me, this is not going to be a comfortable process. It is not going to be comfortable dialogue, but there comes a time when you have to get outside of the comfort zone. Another one of my experiences at the church when we were able to go to the church in person back in the good old days, you remember those good old days, is I don't know if it's, I doubt it's because I'm black, maybe it's because I'm kind of introverted, or maybe because I'm 6'1", 245, but I can always count on sort of a concentric circle when I sit in the east side of the sanctuary where my grandmother sat. That's why I sit in the same place every time I come. It's okay. Come up. Say hi. But don't think that I'm going to do anything or say anything to make you uncomfortable. But if you're uncomfortable in my presence or uncomfortable with this discussion, uncomfortable with the dialogue, you know, you still have some work to do. So I believe in you all. I, again, I've been having this same discussion for year after year after year after year after year. 
and you have the ability to take it to a next level. But I'm calling on you in the name of covenant to put aside your fears, be willing to learn, be willing to be challenged. And I think we'll get this to the finish line sometime during our lifetimes. Thank you so much. Enjoy your Sunday. Good morning. I'm Charlotte Broadkern, a lifelong UU and a member of First Unitarian for 21 years. Actually, I grew up Catholic Unitarian, going to both churches at the same time, one on Saturday and one on Sunday. I've spent my whole life mostly in white spaces, where I've lived, went to school, and worked, and it's natural I feel comfortable in that space. I've had a comfortable, privileged, mostly happy and lucky life. However, having black skin in America, no matter your privileged background, makes it impossible to escape racism. In my youth, I, ex I experienced overt racism. I was called names, pushed down on the playground, constantly questioned at the local private pool where my parents very reluctantly let me join. There were parents of friends who would not allow me to play with their white child or date their white son. As an adult, I mostly encounter racist microaggressions where I have to work harder, be better, and constantly prove myself in various areas of my life. And every day, I conscientiously work to combat internalized racism. I'm glad to be a member of a church that is working so hard to overcome white supremacy culture. But sometimes I wonder if there's something wrong when we work so hard and yet I'm still only one of a very few people of color. I think we have some work to do. Since I feel comfortable and loved at First Unitarian, I don't feel different than others here. I can only tell you how it feels for me to enter a white space that I'm not familiar with and how I felt when I first started coming to First Unitarian. When entering these spaces, my racism antenna go way up. I'm ready for it. I'm ready to be judged, slighted, or given that look that tells me that I don't belong. When I first visited First Unitarian, I also was afraid of encountering zealous Unitarians who would be overly excited that I was there and too eager for me to become part of the church. And yes, I did find some overzealous Unitarians, but with very good hearts. I also became immediately recognizable, but constantly confused with the one other young black woman who was a member here. She and I joked about it because we didn't think we looked that much alike, but it hurt. I also was asked too many times to speak from the pulpit only around Martin Luther King Day. Understandable, but tokenizing. Last fall, I brought a few of the students from my after-school program to a Sunday service where they came to help raise money for giving an action. Some of their parents came along to support. The parents participated in the first service, but all decided to either go for a walk or to wait in the community room during the second service. When asked if they felt welcome, they said no. I noticed that they were nervous and alone during the between service time, and definitely they had their antenna up. Someone made sure to let them know that they could not bring their drinks into the sanctuary. Not many people talked to them. I think we have some work to do.
I started coming to this church for my own kid, Annie, who is now 21. They grew up here and has wonderful memories of camps, ninth grade trips, and learning to be a good person. As a teen, Annie was lucky enough to have inspiring black youth leaders. Unfortunately, it didn't take long for these leaders to be pushed out of the community, having their belonging and leadership constantly questioned. Seeing the way our community treated those leaders with the same skin color as Annie had a negative impact on the way Annie saw themselves and this community. In fact, over the last 10 years or so, there have been six black people employed by First Unitarian whose, lots, whose jobs didn't last very long. Or there were people, black people who were strong members who just seemed to disappear. Seeing this, Annie learned that as well-meaning as most Unitarians are, there's not much space to celebrate ethnical blackness. Although not perfect, I think First Unitarian is a wonderful place with hardworking people, and it's a perfect space for me. I'm happy here, and I've made friends who care about me and who I care about. But my background and my upbringing, my education, are a lot like the people in this church. I don't know if I would feel the same way if my background were different. Would I like to see more people of color here? Yes, of course I would. I get excited when someone walks through the door who looks like me. I want them to feel welcome too, but it's the rare person of color who actually stays. We have some work to do. I don't have the answer to this problem. Personally, I feel there's still a lot that we can do addressing white supremacy culture in our church by all of us, including myself. I hope you see our covenant covenant, and the wording of it as an opportunity to be your better self. I have not seen an anti-racist movement like this right now in the United States in my entire life. And now is a chance for you to make a difference in our own home. I hope my reflections and observations contribute constructively to this discussion, and I hope we can continue to work hard to make this church a church where anyone, no matter their background, will feel comfortable attending. Thank you. differences and beneath our diversity there is a unity that makes us one and binds us forever together throughout all time through life and death and the space between the stars Throughout all time, through life and death, and the space between the stars. Oh, again, thank you, Alton Dillard. Thank you, Charlotte Broadkern for your presence, the gift of your, um, the gift of your stories, the gift of your, your willingness to be uh, part of this crazy train called First Unitarian Denver. 
First Unitarian Denver, at the risk of uh, stating the obvious, our whole service today has been an invitation to have a deeper conversation, a more authentic dialogue here at First Unitarian Denver. Has been an invitation to cut through the static and be real about inclusion, about honoring this banner that's behind me that says all souls are sacred and worthy. No qualifiers, no conditions, no ambiguity whatsoever. All souls sacred and worthy in this space, in this community. Our benediction today is a poem by Hafiz. It's called It Felt Love. How did the rose ever open its heart and give to this world all its beauty? It felt the encouragement of light against its being. Otherwise, we all remain too frightened. Amen. Thank you for being with us today.